When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So I want to take some time today to talk about what I believe is maybe the most important economy in the world at this point in time. And I'm not talking about the U.S.'s economy. U.S. may have the largest economy. Uh, Europe as a whole may be a massive economy. But the economy I want to take some time to talk about is China. And, and more accurately, some of the economic struggles that they're dealing with right now. But before I get to that, I want to give you guys a quick reminder of my Patreon page. Patreon is a, a site that you can support me on a monthly basis. And, and look, I, I'm not one to beg for money. I do have some perks to being a Patreon supporter, including a once-weekly Patreon-exclusive podcast, as well as having more ability to to direct my content and, and give me ideas and whatnot. But ultimately, I like to think that my three, four, five, six, sometimes even as much as seven podcasts a week is something that provides value to you, uh, my 20,000 plus subscribers on YouTube, as well as the fairly large amount of people that listen to me on various podcast platforms. Many of you guys listen to almost every single one of my episodes. And, and I want to start off by saying that I don't expect anything more of you than that. I'm happy to have you guys here in the first place. I feel honored. I feel blessed to have the audience I do. I think you guys are a great group of people as a whole. However, if you do want to go above and beyond, that's a great way to support me. Uh, again, the link is down below in the description uh, to this podcast. Uh, again, as little as a dollar a month, that's you know a, a gas station coffee or, or a coffee from McDonald's, whatever. But anyways, getting back to the topic of this video, China's economy. It's having some trouble. Now, last Friday, you know, amidst all those headlines about Brexit and and uh, you know, Trump and, and Russia and, and whatever other political or geopolitical topics, economic headlines that came up. One that sort of flew under the radar, I think, for many people was a record low GDP print for China. 6%. Now, 6%, I mean, that that would be great if we could achieve 6% here in the United States. It's not happening anytime soon. However, for China, that's pretty low relatively speaking. I mean, it, if you look at China's official economic data, going back to the financial crisis, it's been the norm to, to have data as high as 10%, 12%, but as a whole, dating back to about 2010, their economy, their, their average economic growth has slowly declined. Now, one of the challenges with following China and, and their economic data, especially the, the big numbers like GDP, is that you have to take it with, I don't even want to say a grain of salt, but, but you know, a, a full uh, tablespoon of, of salt. Because it's so clearly massaged and manipulated and, and stretched out to really achieve certain targets set by, either explicitly or implicitly set by uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Oftentimes that's 
plus 6% growth or 6.5 or whatever. And in fact, over on Zero Hedge, they recently put an article about just this topic about China having to deal with lower economic data, uh, lower GDP growth, titled China Braces to Unveil 5% GDP Growth at Two Key Meetings in Coming Weeks. And they have actually a really great graph that I hadn't seen before. It's from Lipper Alpha Insights, and it's their China Momentum Indicator 2.0. And basically what it shows is a more accurate representation of what China's GDP likely is based on various data rather than the official numbers. I mean, why would we believe anything that comes out of of China's uh, official government when it comes to economic data? Have we read 1984? I mean, this number, these numbers, and, and I don't want to let other countries off the hook here. This isn't exclusive to China. I think uh, almost every major country participates in it. But it just happens to be so blatantly obvious with China. No country has GDP growth that is as smooth. And so what this graph shows is that for quarter two, at least, of, of 2019, the official numbers put China's GDP at 6.2%. However... Lipper Alpha Insights, China Momentum Indicator 2.0, actually puts it at closer to 4.2%, which is far below China's target of whatever that target is, 6% or above 6%, whatever. In the past, it's been 6.5 or 7%. It's well below that. And that's a problem. And this is a problem that China has struggled with for many years. You know, coming out of, and even during the financial crisis and the Great Recession, China was instrumental in pulling up the rest of the world in terms of economic growth. Had China not been president, present, uh, the the recovery, if you want to call it that, from, from the uh, economic crisis, the financial crisis here in the United States, in Europe, elsewhere... Probably wouldn't have happened. I don't even want to say that it wouldn't have worked as well. It probably wouldn't have happened. The stimulus, such as uh, higher government spending or money printing or whatever, lower interest rates, would have been far less effective had China not had such high economic growth. They really have been the growth. I, I don't want to say that they're the only growth component. Yes, U.S. and China have, or U.S. and Europe have a fair bit of growth that's occurred since then, or at least some countries do. And other emerging market currencies have volatile, but oftentimes very high rates of growth at times. But China is such a large economy. And that's why I start off by saying that it's perhaps the most important economy, because it was what saved us, if you want to call it that, from the financial crisis, the Great Recession, and, and the ruin that it left behind. However, it's been difficult for China to sustain this. And this is what has me concerned about their future prospects to spark economic growth. You know, there's a lot of talk about how the East, China and Russia and whatnot, are different from the United States in terms of their economic outlook, that they're much more long-sighted, they're playing the long game. And there's some truth to that. And there's some truth to the idea that some Eastern countries, notably Russia, are more interested in the fundamentals of the economy. I'm talking lowering debt or stabilizing a currency or whatever, or buying gold, more so than than Western countries such as the United States. However, the People's Bank of China and the Chinese Communist Party actually bears a lot of resemblance in their tactics to sustain economic growth, a lot of resemblance to the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, Washington, uh, Brussels, etc. Notably, that their goal as as a central bank, as a centrally managed economy, 
has not been necessarily to smooth things out, prevent deep recessions and, and maybe stop bubbles from getting too large or whatever you want to say, you know, in theory, a central bank's goal is. No, rather what the People's Bank of China, as well as the Fed and the ECB and just about every other world bank around the world has done is they've tried to get rid of the business cycle altogether. They're not trying to smooth it out, honestly. What they're trying to do is they're trying to replace the business cycle with a never-ending credit cycle. Uh, a never-ending expansion, fueled by credit expansion, i.e. debt. I mean, how many times have you heard it, resp- I, I, to go off on a tangent here, heard to that heard that referred to as, as credit growth or credit expansion? It's debt. And, and the cold, hard truth about debt in an economy is that it is a potent drug. It is extremely effective at sparking economic growth over the short term. And China's discovered that. The Fed has discovered that. The European Central Bank, the U.S. government, it can be a very effective way to spark economic growth. However, as the amount of debt accumulates... It has very detrimental effects over the long term. And so what China has done in terms of credit creation has been that whenever the economic data shows that their economy is maybe slightly slowing down, they increase their credit impulse and they increase the amount of credit in the system. Whether it's, uh, you know, a good example would be from this this, uh, chart um, over on that same article that I referred to on Zero Hedge, that as a whole... China just continues to increase their social financing. You see increases at the corporate debt level, the the state or province or city level, of course, the the national level. The growth of this debt has sustained this expansion for China. But the question has always been for how long. And, And I think that with this recent economic data, 6%, which is probably very optimistic, it's far, probably far below that. I think this has given us another peek into the fact that this this plan is, is not working. Just like it's not working for the Fed, it's not working for the U.S. The difference is that to maybe give the Fed or the ECB a little bit of credit, which which I don't think they deserve any, um, but, but the credit creation to stave off lower economic growth here in the United States, I'm not talking like a full-blown recession, I'm just talking like zero or one percent growth. The response hasn't been nearly as aggressive as People's Bank of China in many instances. And again, I don't want to give them too much or any credit because they absolutely have tried to do just that. But we're only starting QE up again right now, actually. We just wrapped up quantitative tightening. China, on the other hand, has been very aggressive in this. In fact, we even saw it earlier this year, January, uh, I think maybe even February this year, a massive amount of, of credit expansion massive amount of debt creation to feel their economy. And hey, guess what? Just like every other time over the last 10 years, it worked. But it was far less effective and far less, or far more short-lived than it has been in the past. And, and it makes me wonder how much longer China is, A, going to be able to continue to blow up this credit bubble, and B, how much longer they're going to tolerate it. I mean, China and, and their leadership, going back to second half of 2017, have publicly talked about 
this bubble that is so obviously a bubble in China's economy. In fact, they even referred to it as a Minsky moment, the potential for a Minsky moment, a moment that refers to when further debt creation actually leads to economic contraction rather than economic expansion. Right where where debt creation is no longer beneficial over the short term, and of course it's it's rarely ever beneficial over the long term. That's what they're heading towards. Now, is it quarter four of of twenty nineteen? That remains to be seen. But what I can tell you is that China, like so many other economies, are a ticking time bomb. However, the U.S. and Europe and some other developed uh, uh, economies have not been as important for global economic growth over the last 10 years. China has been absolutely crucial. The U.S. and Europe can sink to 0% growth. We can go slightly negative. And the world isn't going to necessarily catch that cold. But when China's bubble ultimately blows up, whether it's China allowing it to blow up or they reach their Minsky moment, it's going to be very ugly. And I think a lot of people have called this incorrectly in the past 10 years, this bubble ultimately popping. And I don't want to be presumptuous and say that this is it, that it's over here. But it's absolutely very close. We have evidence that further debt creation over the past 12 months has been far less effective than it has been in the past. And I think that's a very good indicator that they're they're reaching or nearing that Minsky moment. It's just a matter of whether or not they're going to continue to aggressively try and stimulate the economy or they're going to attempt to rein in this bubble. Either way, it's going to pop. And the side effects for the global economy, and especially countries that are very closely linked with China, including South Korea, Japan, Southeast Asia, Australia, even Canada, um, the the effects of that are going to be disastrous. I think far worse than just a minor recession here in the United States. Um, And and that's part of the reason why I think that, you know, whether it's U.S. or China that that dip into recession first, we're going to bring the other uh, uh, superpower down. And and it's going to be a, in many ways, a a cycle, uh, never ending cycle downwards until something really breaks. As always, just like I said before, I'd very much appreciate if you guys uh, would would like this video, comment, subscribe, all those things. And I didn't say that before. I'll get to that in a second. I didn't say that before because liking, subscribing, commenting are great ways to help me. What I did say before was mention my Patreon account. I'd very much appreciate if you would uh, check it out and consider supporting me on a monthly basis. Certainly don't feel uh, obligated to do so. Like I said, I'm just happy to have you guys here in the first place. But it is a great way to get a uh, little bit more of Silver Fortune podcast on a weekly basis with the Patreon exclusive podcast, as well as have more control over directing my content, giving me ideas, asking questions, etc. But as always, I'm just happy to have you guys here in the first place. I like to think that I have maybe the best audience here in the podcast world or on YouTube. So as always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast and God bless.